Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 117 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. It is the day after Christmas, which means that some of the craziness of shipping things out, people buying training plans as gifts, thank you, by the way, is over. Um, But it also means that our three-year birthday for the podcast is coming up, New Year's Eve 2016, was episode one with Carlo Traversi. And we started this year with around 200,000 downloads, which seemed crazy at the time. And I decided on, well, actually decided makes it sound calculated, more like I blurted out that a seemingly unattainable goal of a million by the end of this year, because I just like big goals and pushing toward them. And we did not get there, which is not surprising. Uh, But we have had nearly 500,000 downloads this year, which barely even makes sense to my little brain. Um, And even if I only put out one episode a month in 2019, we'll get to that million by next year, end of next year. Um, Don't worry, though. I've got more in the can than ever, 50 or more sitting and waiting episodes. And I can't just let those sit. So... You won't just be getting one a month next year. And we're going to get there, which is exciting. Anyway, thanks to all of you for a successful 2018 and for helping us hit 2019 with a nearly uncontrollable amount of momentum. I appreciate all of that support. Uh, I was introduced to today's guest, Ayo Sopeju, by Tonde Catillo at the CWA last year, speaking of which... There'll be big news about CWA 2019 coming soon, so stay tuned for that. Um, Tonde just said that you should interview this guy, and I didn't know anything about IO, um, but a brief, very brief conversation yielded that I'd be visiting the Minneapolis Bouldering Project, where he's headsetter for a performance climbing coach seminar, and I trust Tonde's opinion, so I did some research, and... Uh, Io and I made it happen. Io is a world-class competitor, um, but it was his setting and art, or more exactly the intersection of the two, that really interested me. Um, we sat down in the Minneapolis Institute of Art, and you'll hear that ambiance in this conversation, and had what turned out to be one of my absolute favorite interviews of the year. So let's get into this. Maybe don't The way I imagine what happens when a climber or competitor does well is that they climb what is in front of them in a way that is really expressive of them and their interpretation. started drawing a bunch just after university and um, 
for me, I look at a lot of art and realize that I was terrible at drawing real things. Um, so I kind of tried to go in the opposite direction and, uh, and thought, okay, if I can't draw things well, I should draw things really simply. Um, so I just kind of tripped on the idea of parallel lines being the simplest thing I could draw. Mm -hmm. and, and then, uh, because everyone can draw a line to figure out a way that I could draw or add lines uh, in a way that meant that you could understand exactly how it was made, but that it took a long time or yeah. a really, really weird degree of care. Mm -hmm. And that would that, be the that's only That's a good difference. way to describe it, a weird degree of care. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that was really fascinating to me is when I first saw your work mm -hmm. at first glance, because that's just what we do on social media. We just glance and swipe, you know? Mm -hmm. And at first glance, it was, it looked like lines. Yeah. But then as you get closer and pay more attention, it's actually space that's creating these images. And it's these little outlined areas. Yeah. The, the it, It's true. At first, it does look like just individual lines, but each line is, is, is a parallel line. Right. And so, uh, yeah, the, the 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 negative space has a lot to do with what is happening and and why it ends up being um, a little more interesting the closer you get, I think, to the mm -hmm. drawings. Yeah. So, which came first for you, climbing or art? Uh, it, maybe they were both. The drawing for sure was always there. I, okay was always interested in in uh in drawing and always actually really interested in people who could draw well yeah i have never considered myself good at being able to represent things uh in a way that you could recognize them and uh and for sure that has always impressed me in people so i think that yeah as a pursuit drawing first i didn't start climbing until i was about 18 okay and uh and then professionally i think i kind of stumbled into both again right around the same time hmm. um had you already started to develop this parallel line style at the time that you were professionally falling into both um I was for sure already setting at that point, um, but I think this parallel line thing started um, a little bit later. Yeah, um, I was house sitting a friend, a friend's place who was on a climbing trip actually, and had been sketching just because I was bored, waiting for something to cook. I think pasta to boil. Hmm. And I think I uh, started to 
to draw like an octopus and the, its arms did something like the parallel lines on like a more loose scale. So I shrunk it over a couple of days and I think that's where the parallel line things started. Um, I was already setting a, a bunch at that point for sure. So I don't think that um, if you're asking if there was a connection between those things, uh, it, loosely I think I was starting to think of myself as uh, or deciding what I might do with my life. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, I think, yeah, as, as it became an idea that it was possible to sort of be a root setter, <laughs> uh, something <clears throat> similar came out of drawing and producing art, mm -hmm. whether it meant that I was going to be an artist. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily trying to draw a connection between those things, but I do think that there are similarities in your art and your setting and your demeanor mm. in general. Um, you know, I can draw parallels there for sure. Maybe I'm totally reaching into left field, who knows? But I do find it interesting that your, your demeanor, your setting, your Mm, being for lack of a better word <laughs> I would never connect to competition climbing oh, partly partly because of my perspective of competition climbing because cool. I was never a comp climber and I mm -hmm. don't have that um, that background that perspective so I'm curious to know competition climbing mm -hmm. and then setting as what appears to be an art form mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, Tonde would tell me no it's not <laughs> <Yeah>. art <laughs> setting as design let's say that yeah yeah um <laughs> they seem to be a little at odds in my mind mm. and they're obviously not in yours so i'm curious how they how they work yeah. together as a competitor moving to the yeah. setting side. Uh, huh. I know that's a out there layered question. Yeah, there might be a few questions in there, but uh, if I move back into the connection between all those things, I think that is an obsession of mine. Something that happens for me always is I'm, I am always trying to connect things. Yeah. Um, so if there is a connection between competitive climbing and root setting and then in some further off place art, I think expression is a really hmm. um, central idea in, in those things in like how we can express an idea or a feeling and and then maybe what is the goal of uh, of each of those things I I'm sure in some ways the idea came from uh, from watching other climbers and conversations with 
people like Tande actually that one of the new ideas that is forming a lot of what I think or how I feel about what is the goal of a competitive climber is that the climber who is really effective in a competition round is actually just expressing themselves uh, very well at a really high level in each boulder. Sure. And in and inside mm-hmm. some sort of parameters. Yeah, that's right. The the format is one of the parameters, the, f- the five minutes or four minutes. Or, right, right. Um, what we do in that. Um, and then the boulder itself, in an old idea for me, the climber has to find out uh, what the root setter has given or decided or something like that but then more recently the way I imagine what happens and what happens really well when a climber or competitor does well is that they climb uh, what is in front of them in a way that is really uh, expressive of them and their interpretation and that's how you do well in a competition, that you're able to express yourself very well. For the root setter, something similar is that we understand uh, parameters, the materials we have, the area, the place where we are, um, and then things like what we're supposed to produce and then how we can express ourselves in that space to satisfy things like uh, who will climb this thing, who will attempt it, how can they interpret and how will they try to interpret this thing. And then is there some intersection uh, between what we place there and how they perceive it. So we are trying to express an idea as a root setter can be something as simple as grade, but it can also be something as complex as grief. Sure. And then does this translate into the climber? Do they feel or understand or how do they feel or understand or look at it? And then maybe in like a, a similar sense, this is what we're doing with art as well. We're trying yeah. to express some idea and you've given yourself these parameters. Right. You're, you're drawing parallel lines and mm-hmm. you're, you're stretching those. You know, I just commented looking at your work that one of the things I noticed seeing it in person is that some of the lines are considerably heavier. Some of the lines are considerably softer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives it this, this feeling of depth. And so within those parameters, which sound very simple on the surface, right. I'm, I'm only going to draw on parallel lines, right. there are still a lot of ways you can express yourself within those parameters. Yeah. And yeah. then I may get a different feeling out of it. That's uh, the most interesting thing for me is always that, is that in each of those three contexts, uh, maybe in, in two of the three contexts, we produce something and the interpretation is uh, 
is more powerful than than the object for me. The artist makes something, and then it's for me when I it's gone. It's not mine anymore. Someone sees it, and that's the interesting thing mm-hmm. in the root setting. This is also for me very true. Is we produce this thing, we intend something very uh, either something very loose or something very specific. We want them to climb this way, or we want them to interpret something, or even we want to see what they interpret, and then it's theirs again. The the consumer, the climber, the person that's going to play with this thing or be massively frustrated by this thing uh, does it without us. Right. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. When I'm because I'm not a root setter, when I'm in the gym, the language we use surrounding how we're climbing on a problem is things like what did the root setter intend right. or I broke their beta or things like that. And that and maybe that's not accurate. Maybe what's actually happening is you've built this thing, mm-hmm. created, designed this thing, and then it's and it had no real specific intention other than to give someone an emotion, a feeling, an experience. Yeah. And and maybe you don't always have the intention of making that really specific. Right. Yeah, I think in my sort of, if I could say, life as a root setter, um, the the first things for sure for a long time that I made were like that. I... Uh, in the, for me, in the in my, the context of setting, it was that we can we force them to do this. Right, right. Uh, was the language that we used as root setters. But um, I think that's changed a little bit um, because the climbers are much better than than we are, and they're much more creative very often mm-hmm. than we are. Uh, the idea that they can almost always break beta, they can almost always find a new right. way, means for me that uh, it's a I I lose less. <laughs> right. If I present a scenario, and and I and actually in the way that now I think that I try to conceive these things is that we present something uh, as. A proposition actually that the proposition is is this this grade and the climbers will answer that they'll say something like no this is terrible or this is definitely not that Um, or they will accept it as this is yeah this feels like you know v8 or two or right or zero well it's an interesting concept for me that a root setter would approach a problem as if I'm creating it and then it's then I separate from it after I give it to you. I see. And when I when I make paintings, mm-hmm. um, my wife very often will 
want to keep everything I paint. <laughs> and my take is I didn't paint it for me. Right. And now I can just let it go and put it out into the world. You yeah. know, I don't want to hold on to these things. And she can't, she never could understand that. Mm -hmm. She's like, how could you give this up? Like <laughs> you spent all this time on it. Yeah. Like, but it did what I needed it to do. Right. And now I wanted to do something for someone else, yeah. whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't viewed root setting that way necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and say that Tonde is wrong. It's art. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think one of the other things that I am realizing as I travel and meet more root setters is, is that the we really have uh, takes on on what's happening. Yeah. Uh, and to defend Tande in a sort of abstract, weird yeah, way. Yeah, please do. Uh, He's not here to defend himself. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true. that uh, For him, it is probably design. Mm -hmm. uh, but for someone else, it, it will truly be something else. And sure. we, we do produce a boulder at the end. Yep. Uh, and it is climbed or not climbed or consumed by someone else who will see it some other way and for each of <clears> us it is I think that uh, and that's what's really for me really interesting is that I can go to Italy and someone says no this is pizza uh, not root setting right and for them it is actually but for me it can be something totally different for me it, you know it, it's no, this is definitely climbing or this is definitely art. Right. Yeah. What year did you start setting? Uh, I don't know if I remember really exactly, but I think I've been setting for around the 13-ish, 13, 14, okay. 15 maybe So was years. that pre the time when gyms were starting to switch over to monochromatic sets and definitely yeah okay <laughs> yeah i have no concept of time anymore mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just old and i've been here forever <laughs> so i have no concept of when that actually happened was setting as interesting to you when you could just grab any hold of any color Ooh. of any type or has it become more interesting by tightening the parameters right yeah constraints is a huge yeah. uh a huge maybe theme in uh, in setting and in 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 what is happening i i bump into setters all the time mm -hmm. who ask me that almost that question exactly if you set in only uh, this color and you only have these holds are you limited right uh yes definitely if I could change every single hold into any color I wanted to at any point, right. uh, I would be, I wouldn't be limited in the same way. But, uh, and that has sort of, in sometimes in some scenarios, is very frustrating. Mm -hmm. I think of a perfect hold or the perfect hold, right. and it does not exist. I don't have it in this right. color, so mm -hmm. I can't do it. But in the best scenario, uh, if I concentrate if i work really hard i can produce something more interesting and more unexpected with that constraint 
I think it's, if we think about it really quickly, uh, without a lot of effort, we are simply constrained. Mm -hmm. But uh, the best, whatever we are, root setters or problem solvers really, uh, and this is kind of close to the, the competitive climber, if we wrestle with this thing really hard, we can be very creative with it. And that space of being really, really creative produces really interesting things. Hmm. Yeah. Where I can take this weird screw on that's too small for to, to produce V zero. And then I can produce V zero. Right. You know, Right. Yeah. I mean, when I was first sort of developing my music years ago, mm-hmm. one of my favorite ways to build my skills was to give myself this set of constraints. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to, I have to do these certain things or the song isn't complete, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that limited me for sure. Yeah but it definitely forces you outside of your own little box that you've built for yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, and we all have it no matter who we are. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, I I hadn't thought about the fact that those constraints do build more creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, we, We want to think of creativity as, oh, the the world is at my fingertips. I can do anything I want to, but having those constraints makes you forces you to think mm-hmm. in a different way yeah yeah there's a is a, a, a theory in evolution it's called punctuated equilibrium it it uh suggests something like that that the the most the biggest uh evolutionary events happen when there's some pressure Right, right. Development happens yeah. when something's blocking exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And then in the times when we have all of the, we're we're uh, we have all the food. There are no predators. We don't need to change. We don't really need to evolve. Right. So we kind of just stagnate. Uh, yeah, we 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 stay the same. Yeah. <clears throat> it's not nice when we introduce wolves into the system, but. It produces really interesting things. It yeah. produces faster animals or animals that can hide mm-hmm. or or animals that can change color. Right. And that's, I think, uh, in a lot of not just creative places, uh, but really in any place that, that we have to produce some work, uh, results that we didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And the results that we didn't expect are, for me, the most interesting. Yeah, for just a nuts and bolts question here. Mm-hmm. Do you ever encounter a situation where you're, or how do you react in a situation mm-hmm. when you are looking for that perfect hold, mm-hmm. you know you want there, yeah. it doesn't exist, and you really want to create this specific thing, do you ever just start at the beginning, strip it all, start over, or do you always solve from that point forward? Mm. No, I think um, this is the, the where the design uh, 
thinking comes in a little bit is that we do one of the constraints is for a root setter is time yeah it uh it has to be done or open or given to the public at five right and right. certainly i if you're around the gym you'll know i push that even that limit mm -hmm. a little bit um but it's not sometimes possible to do that sometimes we say oh i actually do have time to destroy this thing and begin again but other times i don't mm -hmm. i must make this thing work now right um and so yeah, if it's possible we, if we do have the time to rethink the idea completely and we can produce something that's uh, nicer, uh, then I will try to do that. Do you ever go back or is there a constraint in place that prevents this where you've, you have to get this to the public at five, mm -hmm. it's 4.30, right. you're not satisfied with the answer that mm -hmm. you've come up with do you ever come back the next day and say, I'm changing what I did yesterday? In my context, I don't. Okay. Yeah, in my context, uh, we, what the, the point at which we let it go, that's it. All the lessons we learn from it, watching people destroy this thing or enjoy this thing, um, mean that we can take that information and apply it later mm. but not that we can change it right <clears throat> yeah one of the things that uh is for me very similar between how i treat a commercial root setting project in a gym and in a competition is that at the moment where someone touches it we can't change it anymore mm. And I like that idea a lot because it puts some pressure on me um, to, to do both things, to watch, to pay lots of attention with every detail because I have to, I can't fix it. I can't take it back. And so if I'm not learning from it, it, it was wasted. I like that you just brought detail into your root setting mm -hmm. because that's something about your art that's very very oh. apparent um and, and really i mean I'm, I'm going right back to your whole your whole approach to everything appears to be meticulous to some degree mm -hmm. and and knowing that that's part of your root setting makes sense because i've looked at your art mm -hmm. you know is there a a flexible level of detail there that you believe is okay? Are there root setters who can be a little more, for lack of a better term, impressionistic and less mm. detailed? Well, without a doubt, yeah, there are... Uh, if... If detail is a strength of mine, it is also a weakness. Okay. Explain. Yeah. Um, to, I, I mean, I watch some root setters and some of the, the uh, root setters that I admire uh, and whose work is, for me, so interesting is are those that can produce 
really, really good work really sort of loosely. Um, they don't have to place everything in the perfect spot. Right. And one of the things that I've tried to do a, quite a bit is to not hold on to those details the same way. Right, right. I know that I will look at every single detail right to the finest. Which angle did we put this screw in to this hold? Right. But that many other people will not see that. <clears throat> uh, to some degree, that's important that I do mm-hmm. because it it has implications uh, on many levels, on bigger levels. Um, but if I put a screw hole or screw on in the perfect spot and no one ever uses it, that means I've overlooked something. I've wasted that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's one, one way where, uh, I think that if I'm, I'm looking too finely at this, they'll stand right here. This is the only place. And then someone can just come and just mash their foot on anything and get it done. Right. Uh, that's a a shortcoming. I think uh, some of these details uh, or, or some of that sort of specificity. Um, so are you always trying to or striving to strip things down to the essentials? Uh, that's a, a, for me, that's a really central question of bouldering. Yeah. Um, if, what is bouldering? If you ask me that question, what is bouldering or what is a boulder or how does it stand in the context of climbing? It, something about minimalism mm-hmm. is, uh, is at its core uh, of the, the culture of, of bouldering. We've took a mountain and shrunk it. In an analogy, actually, that I'm stealing again from Tande, we abstracted this thing a mountain to a triangle. Yep. And for me, yes, minimalism is a really uh, important part of bouldering and, and hiding a sequence in abstracting the clues that we can take about how to climb it. And I think that the more we remove from the objects and the surfaces that tell us actually how to climb it, the more we have to interpret these ideas from what's left. And those are the, the, the creative and expressive aspects of the climber that they add back in. Hmm. I want to give you a thing um, that doesn't look like climbing at all. Right. And I want you to tell me how it is climbing. Right, right. So, uh, keeping along the lines of gym evolution, Mm -hmm. setting evolution, at some point in the last, again, I have no concept (laughs) of time, but at some point in the last six, five years, Mm -hmm. somewhere around there, density of holds in the gyms Mm -hmm. seemed to have gotten less and less and gym size in general has gotten bigger and bigger so we're left with a couple of lines on a section of wall yeah yeah for me that's very 
aesthetically pleasing mm-hmm. when I walk into the gym. Yeah. Though I'm also stimulated by things like the A or cats yeah. and spray walls that are completely covered yeah. in holds. Mm-hmm. If I were to pull something from your artwork, I would guess that the fewer lines, open spaces seems more in your wheelhouse but is that the case because i could also make a case for the why the spray walls and these clustered walls work for you as well yeah uh if you if you come into uh mbp um it's true i think that the thing that strikes people very powerfully is uh the number of lines are is seems quite few, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that has something to do for me with one of the things that is uh, being asked of of root setters a lot is to create a particular experience. The lines uh, that are uh, that fall into some of the the cultural characteristics that we value in climbing that are pure, uh, that are clean and, and easy to see or read and interpret, I think for me are part of that, ex- that question. Uh, when the owner of a gym says to me, uh, we need to produce something for a climber that is easy to attempt, actually. Mm-hmm. Where they, uh, their experience has to do with interaction with the climbing or the climb that's intended, and not necessarily the others. Right from uh, the moment they walk in the door, as yes. well, not yeah, just that's right. when they pull onto that problem. Yeah, the, if the experience happens from the parking lot, actually, uh, that's very powerful. Yeah, if they look into the windows of the gym and and are captivated there, yeah. then uh, for sure that I've done a good job or I've started my job. And if I understand my job is beginning there, I think that I'm uh, a better root setter. But uh, the same thing can happen in the exact opposite. There are the, there's a picture of a spray wall in Japan that I've seen in people of a few the people have sent it to me now. Wall, dies, Jim. Exactly. Yeah. That uh, the holds are so close together that it seems like almost unusable. Right. We, can we even hold all those holds? That the impact of that is at least as powerful as the minimal Jim, uh, where if you look in, there are only five boulders. Yeah. I think that we choose the aesthetic. We choose the, the way that we create this impact. And, and that's what I think is happening in a lot of the, the places for the climber who doesn't, um, who doesn't know what is going on for an ease of use of someone who walks in off the sidewalk uh, or for the, someone who is fully enculturated and believes that the purest line is not the boulder that has a thousand eliminates on it. It has uh, this singular thing. Those 
places interact really well in a place like MVP. Mm. Um, but even myself, if you if you move a little further into into uh, the gym, you'll see that the spray wall is really different. It does not follow those constraints at right, all. Right. It is about uh, similar ideas about a weird type of experimentation, mm-hmm. but it is maximalism. It is not minimal at all. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that idea is for me really, really interesting. I I spend quite a bit of time when I'm climbing in the spray wall mm. because of its. Uh, it allows me to be very creative uh, and to experiment and to be very as expressive. the user. Yeah. That's right. In, in a lot of the <clears throat> other boulders uh, that I have a lot of, or at least some control over how they turn out uh, or how they feel, the ability to surprise is still for me in, in spray walls quite a bit. Hmm. That's really cool. So I'm going to k- just continue along this line because now you you keep raising questions for me. <laughs> um holds have changed dramatically over the last decade as well um and as a home wall owner i'm always looking for function Mm -hmm. i want the holds that have the most use for the smallest footprint right and that's not necessarily what gyms are going for now right i'm sure there are lots of factors that play into that Mm -hmm. such as you know, again, the gyms are huge. So having a, a giant hold that's really only usable in one space fills that area mm-hmm. nicely and and seems to be a little more balanced than just a couple of small crimps. Um, do you have a preference for setting with mm-hmm. larger holds even if there's only one small usable surface, do you have a preference for setting with sizes or does it depend on the problem? What's the, what yeah. goes through your, what's your process there? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I have a necessarily a, a, a preference. That's a really great question. If, if <clears throat> Because I love to look at the big holds. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to have giant holds on my wall, yeah. but I know the function is more important for me in that space. Right. Uh, I would answer that for sure in two ways. Um, one, personally, if I were to, if you say something like, well, I build your own gym, the one that you want to, to live in, actually, um, I might choose something like uh, small holds. I might go in that direction a little bit but um, in the same way the, the for me the the constraint um, the the potential the, the connection between utility and the small hold uh, is blurred to me these days mm-hmm. if we only put four holds on the wall and I'm asked to make a thousand boulders uh, that asks me to be creative and that is a thing that is valuable in the culture of climbing for me that the 
climber who sees a thousand boulders from uh, one hold uh, understands something or touches something that's really valuable in climbing. And I, I want to, uh, I want to create that feeling as well. For the for a particular boulder, when I produce it um, for a member base, um, the scenario determines exactly what I need. If it's a big hold or a small hold, uh, is that what I must create at this exact moment? Is the is this boulder supposed to be this, uh, or is it supposed to be? Am I creating the V zero that is about the hugest holds possible, or is it about making the V zero that is about the simplest, smallest holds possible? Mm -hmm. So for sure, we I I think we have to go in. For me, we have to go in both directions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you think about the negative space in the gym, on the walls? You know, when you're when you're doing a new set, it's mm -hmm. essentially you have this section of the gym yeah. as canvas. Do you think about the aesthetics of the space you're filling in versus the negative space? Or is it totally utilitarian? There is, I think, a stronger connection between uh, utility and this, the placement of objects in this visual uh, field, if we can say something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I 100% I look at the negative space for sure uh, because again for me the the impact I create starts from the parking lot it starts from where we first interact with this thing uh, if if you see something from outside the gym and you move to it and that's the first thing you touch then um, we have done something right uh, to create a particular type of experience so to answer your question, uh, I do treat negative space um, very carefully, but it is in the end subservient to utility. I, I must understand that there <clears throat> are a thousand people actually who need to move through this space mm -hmm. um, sometimes in a day and I can't produce only five boulders. Right. for these thousand people. So one of the considerations is, okay, first, how can we create impact in an individual line? And then how do we differentiate it from the line that moves beside it or on top of it so that we can maintain a powerful experience that is not easily confused, but um, where we can accommodate or at least move towards accommodating uh, gyms these days that literally see that. They see 1,500 check-ins a day. Sure. So that's one of the considerations for sure in, in my visual evaluation of, uh, of the wall is how close can we make these boulders in different styles, even stacking them directly on top of each other and maintain the experience that is uh, the cultural center of climbing that says something like this line is beautiful 
this is the one that I want <clears throat> to climb. Mm -hmm. Can we do that for every single boulder is a very difficult question, but one I think that uh, I want to try to move towards answering uh, in, in every set, really. Yeah, something that happened that I really enjoyed, and I hadn't thought about the setter's role in this, actually, which is a massive oversight on my part. During the seminar this week at MVP, mm. I ask all of the coaches to, to go find a, a limit bouldering sequence, a short, difficult sequence that they're excited to work on mm. and spend the next 30 minutes working on it. And it, simultaneously, I'm asking them to all coach each other and let's work on the language we use while we're coaching yep. and struggle through it together. And what ended up happening is it's a big gym. There's a lot of space. There are places where one person could be hidden around the corner and you might not see them for yep. the entire session. But that's not what went down. People congregated in, in spaces where there would be a V3 climber next to a V10 climber next to a V6 climber all climbing in the same space together mm -hmm. and excited for each other. And that happened naturally. I didn't say, you three go to this section of right. wall, you three go to this section of wall. And I think from a, from a, a gym's perspective, that's probably really, really valuable because it creates this really supportive atmosphere yeah. around the boulders. Yeah, I think... Another thing that is being asked of root setters is that is what is the connection between placing these things on the wall and supporting the community that touches them? Uh, what's the connection between V0 and the climber that is in that space at V0 and the climber that is in that space at V13? And for sure, we pay some attention to that as well, <coughs> that if all the V0s are in one side of the gym and all the V4s are at the other side of the gym, we divide the community in a really strange way mm -hmm. that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't allow the interaction of these people who are family. They might be parents and kids or uh, they might just be a group of friends right. yeah, who, who are traveling through this gym uh, and climbing different things but are really having a similar experience mm -hmm. uh, that they either brought or they create in that space so yeah it's it's important that those ideas are balanced a little bit for for me um, because that is just a material reality of who we're climbing with yeah yeah so what what we're basically getting at here is that tone day's right and it's design <laughs> <laughs> I really want to just prove him wrong, but he keeps being right. Um, so when we were on our way here, we're, we're right now we're sitting at, is it Minneapolis Institute of Art or yes. Minnesota Institute of Art? Uh, it's one of the two. It's Minneapolis. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we're sitting here in this shared space, um, but on our way here, 
you mentioned that you thought it would be an interesting intersection of form and function and how how that's in, in relating to climbing and setting and in gyms currently and when when we first walked in here and we sat down the place was empty and then everyone listening heard all of the commotion they heard the blocks being played with in the background by the kids and when that was first happening i was like we should just stop this and move somewhere <laughs> else but but then i thought about your comments about form and function and in a in a place like like an art institute here in an art gallery in a museum we walk in and we're often thinking only of form mm. um and then hearing this kid behind us playing with the blocks right. makes me realize there's there's function happening here too um how do you see those things playing together in the gym and i i know that lots of people have differing opinions on this and and we've touched a little bit on it through this conversation but yeah. but i'd love to hear your take on it yeah in uh there it's, it's true there are a lot of communities and uses that happen in a place like the like the gym and here as well it, a lot of the objects, on one level, the objects that are on display here are not all and have not all been created uh, as art pieces. Right, right. We see them that way, but right. they were created at, as something functional. Exactly. At this, <clears throat> at the point they were created, if this was a bowl. Right. And it was made with cultural influence but it was to house food and we now see it as as uh, a representation of something that is art or that we can put in an art institute um, and that's a really interesting intersection that I think is similar to one that um, it can happen in the gym as well is that we can create something as, and it is utilitarian we can say this is a representation of v3 but someone else will have an experience on it that is powerful for them that takes it past simple utility that's one uh example that for me happens all the time and one that i in my practice i i like to think uh that i'm moving towards i'm trying to do something like that in the setting but another thing that happens for sure in the gym is that we create this place where people come into and uh, and they're using it in vastly different ways some will literally just look so whether it's a parent or a grandparent or or a brother or a sister they literally will just look uh, mm -hmm. or if there's someone is just coming to the space to work actually uh, and some are using it in another completely different way. This is the place that I hang out with my grandson. And, right. And we kind of have to pay some attention to, to those things. It, it also means something about a, uh, a give and take that in the art institute, there is a section where kids can play with blocks 
and that is uh, connected to the creation of art or the representation of art and who uh, takes place in it. So yeah, it, it's, it is kind of funny that we are here, we found a quiet place, uh, but uh, the, the people have found us too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and like I said, at first I got really annoyed with it. <laughs> it like the technical side of me is like, this is going to sound horrible, but that's really not the case. And it just sounds like life. Right. And, and that's what this really all is. And now thinking about the objects in, in, this, in these galleries here, you know, we were looking at these ceremonial masks and religious items and like you mentioned bowls I I walk in I see those things as art someone created them with function in mind but but also with an eye toward the form and I I think that's something interesting as well going back to the evolution of climbing in gyms that has happened both in the gym you know, the gym building itself and in holds. Um, you know, if I look at things that Ian is shaping for Kilter or that Nick is shaping for Kumiki, yep. it's it's very much function. Yep. They put a lot of thought into how are you going to grab this hold? How does it feel? What does it make you do? Mm-hmm. But they're also beautiful. Yeah. You know, they're great to look at. And so, I mean, it, it's it's fun to see it all coming together. And I think that your perspective on it is really important and being able to, to draw the lines connecting those things inside the gym, within the setting, and, and just within the, the community that uses the space. Cool, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, so I appreciate you taking time out of your day i know it's been a busy week um and sitting down with me here and for bringing me here i thought you know this was a great idea so i appreciate it yeah for sure thanks for yeah thanks for having me yeah thanks io i really love talking to setters who put this much thought into their work and i couldn't ignore that io also puts that same level of care into his art his conversation everything and listening back to this really helped me realize that while having these conversations over 170 hour-long face-to-face conversations in the past three years has become an addiction for sure i'm often missing some of the reflection that i that could come from them Um, and i'm going to work on that this year i've put links in the show notes right there in your pocket supercomputer photos of Io's art look closely at it zoom in take some time to realize the level of care that's involved Um, and if you get the chance climb a circuit at the Minneapolis bouldering project where Io is head setter and realize the same level of care there Uh, you'll also find a link in your show notes to follow Io on Instagram and I suggest that you do that and you already know where to find us as you close out 2018, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can support the podcast on Patreon. There's a link to that. And follow us on the social medias, at Power Company Climbing, on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Pinterest. And 
I mean, you could try to follow us on Twitter. It's not going to happen because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles.